Um, once again, JJ's got an intro, so we'll just do a countdown and go straight into it. suspicion that they won't do that. Anyway, please sit back, enjoy your journey through Season 3 of Spock the Week. Thank you for joining us once again, and please enjoy. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, subscribe to our podcast on Catcher of Your Choice, and go to buymeacoffee.com and buy us a pint. We'd be much appreciated. Without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Good morning, because it is morning again, James. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Good, I'm good. How's life at Real Life Radio these days? Oh, it's it's good. It's nice and busy. Uh, yep. A few things on the horizon that I'm not allowed to disclose yet, but yeah, we're, mm. we're doing good. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> it can't be discussed, but whatever it is, you heard it here first. <laughs> so um, I had a, a little visit from JJ in the garden the other day, because we're still doing the social distancing. How is JJ doing? He's doing well. He's doing well. And we had young baby Alanda along. Yep. So I don't know if you've seen the picture on Facebook. I have seen the pictures, yes. Yes. So yes, so we got introduced to the newest star fleet cadet. Um so that was good to Oh has he signed the baby up already? Oh I don't know if I don't know if he he has. He probably has. It is JJ. Yeah, he probably has. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he's still trying to get Mr. Billingsley, I believe, to sign up. So <laughs> <laughs> priorities, you know, get get John Billingsley first. That's more important. <laughs> so well, yeah, I suppose because it's not his firstborn. So you know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, not exactly, exactly. Um, so he um has asked us to talk about Romulans after us bitching about him making us talk about Taylorites there last week. Well, um, at least there's something to actually talk about with Romulans. Well, yeah, I think we have a rich pool of episodes to um, select from here yep. and talk about the, the Romulan development and progression through multiple series. Um, and Star and, Trek Online as well. And Star Trek Online. Um and obviously, uh, you're not a huge fan of the original series, but you've got a little bit of homework to watch Balance of Terror, where we first meet you the did. Romulans. Yes, um, I got my homework and I've completed my homework. Okay, and what, and what did you think of the assignment? Um, it, it was an assignment, it happened. Um, yeah, no, it was good to see the introduction of the species, um, as is often the case with TOS, I found it was lacking a lot of detail and information that I would have liked. Um, there were some bits that just made no sense, uh, such as when they're in the weapons bit. I don't know 
the, the whole idea of them working somewhere separately and firing the weapons was really odd to begin with. Um, but when they were in there and the gas came into the room and gassed them and they fell unconscious and one of them died, but don't know where it came from. Don't don't know what what that was all about. Uh, I don't know. I did enjoy the um, very very deliberate commentary on racism where. Um, the officer basically keeps judging Spock by all the actions of the Romulans because of the fact that they may be distant cousins. Uh, so I found that was a, a really good um, way of showing that in the 60s. Um, for contemporary eyes, it was probably a little bit too blatant and a bit too, hey, look, we're talking about racism today. Um, but I, I found that was really good. But yeah, the the episode itself was a great introduction. Uh, my daughter found the sound effects hilarious. We were halfway through watching one of the fights and she sat there on the sofa just going, ha ha, poo, 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 um, pretending to be the laser noises. And she got very confused by the weird helmets they were wearing. And I, I've got to admit, I don't understand the weird helmets or the weird what the different coloured of crochet sash means, but, you know. Yeah. We established quite early doors in Romulan history that they are related to the Vulcans. Yes. Um, which obviously became a rich source of storytelling for the writers in subsequent series um, and indeed movies. Uh, also... Yes, yeah, Spock describes them as possibly being one of the militant wings of Vulcans from way, way, way back when um, Vulcans put Earth to shame in how they went out and did their um, conquesting of other worlds and things. Uh, so he describes them as being kind of an offshoot from back then when they were still quite a militaristic society. And uh, we meet Mark Leonard, who plays yes. the first Romulan. He also played the first Klingon in the movies that we see. And technically, does he play the first Vulcan, given that Spock is only half Vulcan? There's an argument to be made. Yeah, no, I suppose you've got a point there. Yeah, because, yeah, Spock's only half. So, yeah, I suppose he does play the play the, play the first thoroughbred. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I mean what, what would you give the episode out of 10? Because I know you're not enthusiastic for TOS. I'm going to give it a six. Um, If it hadn't have been the introduction of a major species that has a massive influence on the Star Trek universe, it would have got less. As an episode on its own, I think there were too many... It was too obvious in parts, and in other parts, they just didn't actually answer the questions. It's like... Kirk's doing a wedding at the beginning of the episode and Red Alert goes off. So you know one of them's going to die. And lo and behold, when you get to the episode and end of the episode, one of them's dead. Um, Yeah, and who's that woman in red who just kind of follows Kirk around and flirts with him when he's sad? What's that all about? Human Rand. What's that all about? That's just weird. Do you not recognise Human Rand from the movies? No. She's in a couple of the movies as well. No, I just found that character was a little bit cringy. Um, oh, boy. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Okay, you heard it here, folks. James has just described Grace Lee Whitney 
playing Yeoman Rand is a little bit cringy. Put your comments below. You're going to get a, I was going to say a tidal wave, but a little ripple, given the amount of listeners that we have, you're going to have a little ripple of vitriol coming your way. That, that's fine. I would be happy if someone had explained it a bit more. I've only got this very limited experience of it. It's going to get explained. It's going to get explained. <laughs> I, I am happy to be wrong if I am wrong, but it just came across in that episode as being a little bit creepy. Mm. Um, in the same way that after that episode had finished, it rolled on to the next one when I was watching it on Netflix. As I think it was the same character who was just randomly massaging Kirk while he was sat in the chair. Oh, is that where um, Kirk's hoping that it's Spock that's doing it? I, I have no idea. I saw it. I I'll just went... I, I, no, we we shouted no at the television and turned it off. We decided yeah, see, that watch it, wasn't watch something it, we wanted to watch. Watch it again, and you can see the pleasure on Kirk's face where he thinks it's Spock that's doing it, and then he finds out it's the yeoman. It's <laughs> and the disappointment. It, it's, it's just a bit creepy, weird, and oh look, there's a lady. Let's treat her like a sexual object for me. Controversial, controversial. It's mean. It's controversial <laughs> statements are my job. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get to some when we get to Nemesis and Picard later on. I'm sure um, we will. Well, we don't see much in the original series of them. We've got another episode called the Enterprise Incident, which is a fairly decent episode, but it's all quiet on the Western Front, as we say, until we get to TNG and the neutral zone. And to be fair, we're not in it much. No, um, no. the The Romulans are an unseen enemy for a lot of TNG. They're talked about. The mention of the neutral zone runs throughout um, the next generation, but they do seem to be that fear of the unknown kind of element to them. I, hmm. I find throughout TNG. Um, well, this is part of the mystery of them, isn't it? The mystery yeah. of the Romulans, and we do get a great entrance to the Romulans. An introduction as they when they enter that episode with another Star Trek luminary uh, playing a Romulan at the end of the neutral zone, Mark Alemo. Gotta love Mark Alemo. Yeah, I'm um, playing T-Bot, basically saying we are back. Um, I'm not quite. I think there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on in TNG at that time because I think they were playing with the idea of introducing the Borg. Uh, Morris Hurley was about to come on board. Um, they obviously they introduced the Romulans. They'd had a go at making the Ferengi the bad guys, and that hadn't worked out. Um, and then season two, we got that quite a messy season, partly because yeah. of the writer strike as well. But some absolute gems yeah, that in didn't there. Help. Um, but that's some absolute gems in season two. But not many Romulan episodes in season two, I don't think, because uh, they introduced the Borg, obviously, yeah. to come back later in the season. Um, but you know, when you think about it. In the original series, it was the, the Klingons that were the bad guys. Yeah. Voyager had the Borg as their bad guys. DS9 had the Dominion. And I think the bad guys in TNG weren't the Ferengi, they weren't the Borg. I think the bad guys in TNG were the Romulans. Yeah, no, I, I, I can see. I can see that being... Yeah, no, that would, that would make sense because, like I said, throughout TNG, they were always the unseen enemy they were always there so how how many episodes did they not mention the neutral zone yeah probably not very many yeah uh 
yes, yeah, it gets mentioned every second episode, basically. Um, but I think they featured in something like 20 odd episodes, either mentions or actual episodes. Yeah. In TNG, and there's some quite significant ones. And I think, basically, you know, we've both spoken about the Romulan Vulcan thing so far and um, the development. So I think unification is an episode where we get a huge amount of insight into what the Romulans are. Yeah. Um, as well as obviously Tasha Yar's daughter. I think that's where we meet her for the first time. Is that where we meet Sienna for the first time? Mm, I think so. I'm not, I can't think of her appearing earlier. Yeah, let's have, a, let's have a week. Let's just do a research live as usual. So that's currently what I'm doing as well. I just wasn't going to tell everyone I was cheating. <laughs> <laughs> live research, folks. How exciting is this? This is like, it's like, what was that program Tony Robinson was in? Time Team. Time Team. So they used to do that live. Oh, look, we found a blo broken PC pottery. Yeah. For any of our American listeners, Time Team is basically an old man who used to be a comedian who has a little bit of a penchant for archaeology, and they do a live archaeological dig. And as you can imagine, 97% of the episode, nothing happens. Um, they walk around with their geo, what's him call it, scanner that looks like a, a vacuum cleaner that they're vacuum cleaning in a field with, which scans underneath. Then they dig, they find nothing. And then eventually they find a tiny little piece of crockery. Uh, Tony Robinson gets massively excited, and then that's it. Then the credits roll. Yeah. 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 It, it ran for years. Oh, I know. It's it's. Yeah, it's definitely television to fall asleep to. But like this podcast, <laughs> if you if you're an insomniac, just stick this on, and you'll soon we'll soon knock you out. <laughs> Yeah, so have we established if uh, Sila was introduced in Unification? I don't, I'm not sure, actually. Still desperately trying to find her. Because I think it's only episode two she's in. Yeah, I can't find it. Anyway, um, it's got to be one of the best episodes of TNG. Oh, there we go. But yeah, yeah. We, we, we I don't know what shoot. happened then. It, yeah. it, you just froze mid-sentence. We were talking about Time Team, and it was that boring. It sent Zoom to sleep. Oh, brilliant. That, this is going to be so... <laughs> it's going to be, I can't wait to hear James's comments on this when he's editing this. It's <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah, no, I'm trying to establish a because I think she was only in episode two of Unification Part Two, wasn't she? That'd be why I can't find any mention of her in Unification Part One. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was only episode two she came in, but that's just from memory. Don't don't uh, hold me to that. Let's have a look at Unification Two. See if I can find any information to give me any guidance here. Right. So Unification 2, let's have a look at co-stars. Or guest stars, she would have been on, wouldn't she? Oh, yep. 
She is in uh, episode two, Denise Crosby as Sarah. Let's have a look at yeah, Actually, it was the third episode that she was in. She's credited in the second one, apparently. Yeah, um, but it was actually, she was in The Mind's Eye, which was a season four one, and also Redemption. Let's have a look Another at her. season four one. She was in, yes, yeah, she was in The Mind's Eye, Redemption, Redemption 2, and Unification 2. Yeah. Yeah, but that was awkward for um, Denise Crosby to go back after the um, way that she was reportedly treated by Rick Berman when she left in the first place. Yeah. Uh, although, I mean, so, I mean, there was also other stuff. She's also getting offered other stuff as well. Uh, no, I just mean going back into that work environment yeah. with the person who had reportedly treated her so badly. Mm-hmm. Um. I think at that point, though, his mind was starting to, you know, he was much more of an overseer. Yeah. Uh, so Michael Pillar would have been the main man, at least on the, in the production sense. Michael Pillar would have been the main man at that point, I would have thought. I'm not sure who wrote the... I thought it was Berman and Pillar who wrote Unification, but let me just double check. Uh, think I'm correct. Uh, yeah, Rick Berman and Michael Pillar. Oh, well, that they developed the story. The teleplay was Michael Pillar. Um, so he's definitely still heavily involved at that point. So, no, it's just a... But then again, you never know actually how much of that is true and who's right and every coin has two sides, doesn't it? Yeah. So. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I'll... I'll... I mean, you, obviously, you get there's a lot goes on because you find out about the backstory a little bit about the the Vulcan Romulan thing. Yeah. Um, Spock trying to re, which I think he spends the next hundred years trying to do, is to bring the two races um, together. Yeah. Um, and we'll get onto that when we get onto Discovery later. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> um, and and you get a real sense of the. Um, duplicitousness mm. of the Romulans. You know, there's always, you know, for a, for for every uh, action that they they do, there's a hundred actions in the background to try and achieve their end their end goal that you don't know about. Oh yeah, um, most of which are probably carried out by the Tal Shiar. Yeah, uh, we'll come on to the ship vash later. Um, um, that's that is yes. I did say it correct. I said the shit vash. Um, I'm going to see how many times I can say that in this podcast. <laughs> Hang on, I've got a bleep somewhere. Let me find it. Yeah, I'm going to see that. Um, and yeah, I mean, because I, I mean, the guy that plays the Romulan ambassador in that episode is actually pretty good. Uh, mm. uh, does a great job. Um, and you get, you know the. The fact that you get the sense that there is actually a part of the Romulan Empire or the Romulans race that, that don't want to keep going down the road that they, they're going down. Um, and I think that, you know, that's quite interesting. That they want to be a bit more progressive, they want to be a bit more inclusive, and they want to play a different part rather than just build empire building. And I think that was quite interesting. Yeah, no, they as a species, they are quite interesting. They're blatantly... 
uh, an analogy for the Russians. Um, I, I, looking back at that episode of TOS I watched the other day where they're basically going silent and they're not allowed to make a noise um, was basically people hiding on submarines, wasn't it? As two submarines yeah. are sat there waiting for each other. Uh, my partner did turn around and go, do they not realise sound doesn't travel through a vacuum of space? So he got told to leave the room. Um, and yes. Yeah, so the... Aren't they in a nebula though at that point? Yeah, but it's not solid matter mm. connecting the two. No. Um, but he had a point, but let's not let him know that. Okay. Um, we don't want to validate his opinions. Okay, My goodness. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's bad enough when I get a lecture on laser beams in space shouldn't make a noise. Okay. Um, ha hashtag respect. Uh... <laughs> but yeah, they're they're definitely the Russians um, through the American eyes of the time. Um, things such as the existence of the Tal Shiar and the that duplicity that you mentioned um, fits as well with the state and the population not always having the same goals and aims and objectives, and it feels like that's been transferred onto the Romulans as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they're, they're in a few episodes, but I, I want to talk about a DS9 episode. Okay. Okay. And Where are we going with this one? Three words. Let's see if you can guess the episode. It's a fake. Sorry. It's a fake. Uh, for those who can't see, because, you know, it's a podcast, I'm pulling a really blank face now. And I don't know whether it's my lack of functioning memory or Gregor's lack of ability to do an impression. Uh, I know which one my money's on. Um <laughs> It's the episode that started a thousand memes in the pale moonlight. Ah, uh, yeah, I do like that episode. Yeah, uh, number, as we discussed, I think, off recording uh, the other day, it's number two in the all-time list of Star Trek's greatest episodes. Yes. As per the 2016 Vegas convention. We, we did have that conversation about that list that I didn't yeah. agree with. Well, it's a it's a list. You're not meant to agree with it. It's, no, I know, but I enjoyed I enjoyed arguing at you about it. I'm not going to say with you because you just kind of nodded while I ranted for a bit. I was, yeah, I mean, I don't agree. I, I mean, I think there was probably about six or seven in that list that I would put in the the top ten of all Star Trek, and this is one of them. Um, absolutely, this is one of them. Um, and again, it's really delving into. In this case, I was going to say the Federation, but it's not the Federation. It's specifically Cisco, yeah, and more so uh, Garrick, using the distrust that the Romulans have to their advantage um, to try and bring them into the, the Dominion War. And it's, I mean, it's a great episode for all sorts of things. It's, you know, it's got a Romulan ambassador in it. It's got murder. It's got intrigue. It's it's got Garrick. It's, it's got Garrick. It's got assassinations. It's got um, our fleet commander questioning his own actions. Uh, if you want any more than that, I don't know what more you could want. You know. I think if you want more than that, you're just too greedy and need to take a good look at yourself. To be honest. It, it fits a lot into a 45 minutes. Yeah. Episode. 
Um, no, it's it's a, a brilliant episode. Um, yeah, the the whole way that they do get the Romulans into the Dominion War is very clever. Um, and it would be necessary if this was really happening. It would be necessary because otherwise, sometimes you know the um you need to work with your enemies to get a common enemy and that can unite people and things. So it's got, it's got that to it, which is really nice as well. And there's another episode I'd like to mention from DS9 and I'm setting you up here. You probably are. I'm setting you up here for a role on Nemesis. Um, We're getting ready for Nemesis. setting you up for a role on Nemesis. I'm ready. As the double episode image in the sand and Shadows and Symbols, which is episodes one and two of season seven of DS9. Yeah. The reason I'm mentioning those two is we've now got the Romulans in the war. Yes. We've now got the Romulans on the station and we have them on one of the Bajoran moons. Yep. Um, And they're putting, this is a side story in this episode, but they're placing weapons where they're meant to be, have a, a military hospital. Yep. And Kira's in charge of the station. She finds out and she takes the Defiant out to call their bluff. Um, and to cut a long story short, the Federation stroke Romulan Joint Fleet are preparing to open fire on Kira yep. and blow up a Federation vessel. Um, and because she's got a ragtag bunch of Pachoran vessels with her. And uh, Admiral Ross persuades the Romulan commander to stand down. So here's where I'm setting you up after all that. Go on, man. Uh, this is the Romulans and Earth trying to work together, or the Federation trying to work together. Yep. And I think that takes us into Nemesis. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see the segue there. So um, we've got the Romulans and the Federation starting to work together. Um. I'm not sure timeline-wise where Nemesis fits in. Definitely after the Dominion War. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% sure where exactly it slots in. But yeah, so the Federation of Romulans are working together, which is great, until um, Massive Baddy appears um, and decides that that's not the best way to do it, that, you know, let's just take over the whole of this part of space because where Romulans are, um, we needed a body for a movie. Yeah, I mean, I don't like Nemesis. I think it was a missed opportunity more than anything. But one of the things I did like about it was the idea of having the Picard clone as yeah. the the the, uh, the foil for. Picard himself. I thought yep. that was a good idea. Um, and I thought, you know, played brilliantly by uh, Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's... That... He just oozes baddie. <laughs> but he's also got that ability to just turn it on its head and present that almost vulnerability um, as well, which is is nice to see that flick between the two. 
Well, to answer your question about timeline wise, the Dominion War finished in 2375, and Nemesis was 2379. Okay, cool. So, what, what do you like about the film? Um, I like the darkness of it, it's very dark, um, both visually and thematically. Um, I like the Riemann element to it, which I think is quite interesting. Because, um, you know, if you're going to rob the name from Roman mythology, then let's rob both of the names from Roman mythology and do it properly. Um, I, I, I'm definitely going to get some comments from this bit, but I quite like the fact that a film is willing to show the death of a main character. Um, so I, I'm quite happy with um, what happened to Data because I think that it shows real jeopardy in film and television when they are willing to let um, a main character die. And obviously Brent Spiner wasn't that annoyed by it because he did help write the film. Um, so he was obviously happy with it. Uh, I like the fact that it starts off all nice and bright on Earth and they're all getting married and Wesley Crush is there at that wedding and then he's not. And, 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 and oh, don't get me going on the whole Wesley Crusher, why isn't he a nemesis issue? Um, but yeah, and there's the it's got the jokes, it's got the light bits with the whole, oh, we're going to go and get naked and have a wedding um, elements, which make me giggle. And then you've got that transition into the real dark excuse me, <clears throat> the real dark um, episodes when um, Shinzon appears and it, it's it's that contrast, that juxtaposition between the light and jovial and the real dark side. And I just enjoy the journey that that film takes me on. I, I just find that going through all of those emotions and those levels and the light and the shade and the dark is just a really I'm not going to say pleasant journey to go on, but it's an experience to have that I really enjoy. Yeah, well, I mean, many of those elements I liked about the film, but, but the things that were wrong with the film for me it completely detracted um, me from actually liking it. I guess, I mean, I, I'm a film that I really like that most fans don't seem to like is uh, Insurrection. And I'll I, defend I, Insurrection I, to the death. Um, I, but I quite like that one too. Other people think it's terrible, and I, you know, I think they're wrong, but I'll defend it to the death. But I, I mean, one, I mean, you mentioned the data death, but what, which I think I agree with you, and and of itself that would have been a major storyline. But they copped out with B four, um, and I didn't like the way they found B four, and I thought Picard on that June buggy was so out of character. And this is back to Stuart Baird, who knew nothing. So, oh, let's all do different things, which is why him and Marina were just constantly at each other's throats on the set, apparently. I mean, if you're ever on a call with Marina, do not mention Nemesis and Stuart Baird. She will go off on one. She that goes, makes me want to do it. because She goes absolutely mental, and she hates him with a passion. Um, so, and the other thing that sort of attracted me was, where did the Remans come from? All of a sudden, it's like, what? Yeah. You had a, you know, this species that I, I could never recall hearing about. I, uh, I don't know if they're ever previously mentioned. I wonder if I can 
make a little bit of use of memory alpha, click Remans and see where I get. Um, another thing that disappointed me was the lack of cooperation or the apparent lack of cooperation where it's like the Dominion War ended and apparently they just the Romulans went back to type. Um, I'm not saying that there'd be an open book after the Dominion War, but surely there would be some sort of diplomatic relationship that was better than pre-Dominion War, and it just seems that that wasn't there. I just it's a... not unknown for um, things to work like that, for people to group together just to fight a common enemy and then go back to hating each other again. It's not a, an unknown historical standpoint. It's not very Star Trek, you know. No, but Star Trek's basically an analogy for Earth, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and that, that just those elements were enough to detract me from actually enjoying the, the movie as a whole. And there was, there was stuff that I did like about the movie. I thought the the idea of the story at, at its basic was, was really good. Um, the battle scene um, was good. I, I don't think they needed to go on board to have a, a knife fight, which is... Oh, I like much, a good monkey knife fight. It's pretty much a, um, a staple of all blockbusters now that you've got to have fisticuffs. Oh, it's better end. than Kirk and he's two-handed punching. What's that all about? That's, that's brilliant. That is brilliant. <laughs> so you object to knife fights, but two-handed punches are fine. Two-handed punches are great. What, what planet are you on? <laughs> you can't beat a Kirk two-handed punch. No, but you can. That's the point. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm now doing it for I'm now doing it over Zoom if you're listening. Just picture me doing that very slow two-handed punch to the gorn. Oh. It probably wouldn't work. Um, it, it really no 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 no. Let's have yeah. a knife fight instead. Um but yeah, I've just done a little bit of research and we were correct. The um Remans were introduced for the first time and mentioned for the first time in Nemesis. Uh, they did go on to appear in two episodes of Enterprise as well, um, but they were originally introduced as um, John Logan needed to come up with the idea of um, a baddie for Nemesis, so he came up with the Remans uh, because they'd never been established in canon before, so he had to have a bit of an argument with Rick Berman and Brent Spiner about getting the go-ahead for that. I don't think that I don't think that was a great idea, but it was a better idea than the shit bash. Um... <laughs> I, I I'm smiling, giggling, and doing my disapproving eyes at Gregor right now, which you can't see. Um, but the shit bash. The shit bash. Don't think that's what I said, Gregor. <laughs> So, are we moving on to the Jadvash then now? Uh, yeah, okay, if I must. Okay. okay, so go on then. You tear them to pieces and then I'll build them up again afterwards. Well, I think I've maybe said this on a previous podcast. I do not subscribe to this 25% license argument that you see going on in certain other podcasts that they've got to make it 25% different because of the license. I think that is all bollocks. I, I think try and produce and manage a legal document like that 
in a in, in, in a artistic sense just sounds preposterous to me. What I do think is that the current people involved in producing the show have to introduce their own elements. The more of their own elements they introduce, the more intellectual property they get further down the line with their residuals. Okay. And apparently the Tam Shah weren't good enough for Picard. When I say they weren't good enough for Picard, they weren't good enough to have in the show. The Tam Shah weren't good enough. So they introduced this thing called the shit vash. I can never pronounce that word. It's try as I might, I can never say that word. Go on, and, keep going. And it was just everything that they'd done with the, the Romulans of Picard was daft. Not everything, sorry. I'll, I'll pull back from that. Because in the first three episodes, we actually get introduced to 2X Talsha and you're like not sure about the first day, you know, what, what the hell's going on in the first episode with these housekeepers in Picard's house. By the third episode, I was quite liking them. Even the Irish accent, I, I was, I was not, this is quite interesting. And then uh, in typical new Star Trek fashion, they, they have a good idea and then they dump it and they don't run with it and they don't let it mature. We didn't see them again. And it's, because we then went down the road with this chat bash. Now, first of all, can I just say, um, Larissa is unbearably sexy, but a really bad character. She's just a moustache twirling villain who says things, and I know they tried to explain her motivations, but that was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in Star Trek, was that scene where they were on the that planet and the stone circle and then they're tearing their eyes out. I was just like, what the actual fuck is this? Honestly. Um, and Admiral Ono, is it Admiral Ono? Oh, Admiral isn't it Ono. Just all? No, it's Admiral Ono. Um, is actually quite sexy as well. But again... Isn't she also a Commodore? Isn't it Commodore O? Is it Commodore? I don't know. No. Um, a real moustache twirling villain that had no depth. And see, you've got me going now. I could go, I could go on like this for hours. Come on, come on. Now, defend, I, I, defend I the feel I've got to I've got to start this by saying that you have the sheer fucking hubris to have this argument. Because um, oh, you know, if we're talking Picard, oh, let's talk geez. Picard. <laughs> oh, um, so fucking cool. So you've. You started off talking about the things you hate about Nemesis, which was the fact that um, the Romulans were working with the Federation and then there was a baddie who came in and you didn't like that um, because the Romulans should be friends with the Federation. So we fast forward to Picard and you've got what you want. You've got the Romulans and the Federation working together. But you're saying that the Tal Shiar should be the baddies. But if the Romulans and the Federation are working together, then the Tal Shiar being the baddies goes against what you want, Gregor. But we, no, we don't. We don't have the Romulans and the, the the Federation working together. What we've got is a, a, an apparently um, fragmented Romulan Empire, which is well, the planet did blow up, which is, is around the universe. But they still managed to turn up with a massive fleet of Romulan warbirds in the last episode, which was quite interesting where they came from. Um, so the Romulan Empire, while it doesn't have a home planet, would, to, 
to me, seem to exist if you can turn up with a fleet of warbirds. Okay. I think this is a uh, a valid-ish point. Um, so if you've got a diasporate society, so they're spread out all over the quadrant, to call them people back, well, they're going to have to have spread out somehow. They, you can't fly through the vacuum of space just in a spacesuit. So they will have taken their vessels and things with them when they spread out. And then if a call is put to join them back together again under some banner that they're willing to unite under, then surely they can come back together again. But, but again, but to, to your point that the, the, Rom, the Romulans and the Federation were working together, they weren't. That, the whole point was that they stopped working together and the rescue and everything got um, abandoned. Never mind the fact that it was such an urgent issue that Spock was off on his own with his red fucking matter. Um, see, you've got me on back to 2009. I just, just you've got me talking about Jar Jar Trek now. Um, and it's so just it, see, in, in their defense, it needed to be brought back together again. The stupid JJ split needed to be somehow shoehorned back into the universe so that it makes sense. Um, because, you know, they had Leonard Nimoy playing Spock. So it, it's, it, it needs to be fitted back in. And they fit it back in. All right. Might not be the cleanest cut, but, you know, but emergency field surgery took place. Um, the stitches are shoddy, but it'll hold the wound together long enough for us to be able to get you somewhere better. Here's the thing with the Romulans and the Federation working together. They, they, they clearly haven't in Picard worked together because we've got Admiral Ono or Commodore Ono or whatever our name is um, infiltrating the Federation. Okay. You do, but, but she's not your standard Romulan. But the, the refugees everywhere are hating Picard as seen by the fight. We've got these ridiculous ninja monks um with the elf, please, my friend, choose to you live. Mean space Legolas. Yeah, space Legolas, and you know, because he's he can kill everybody with a sword, even though a disruptor can shoot you from a mile a mile away. Um, and we the only example we see in Picard of Romulans and Federation ish people working together are in Picard's house with the two Romulan housekeepers. And they don't take them. So you've got a good example there of two ex-Talshar agents who believe in Picard and what Picard done, and then they leave them behind. So are we saying that those two are the only... I mean, that's the only example we see of the split in the Romulan belief that the Federation helped them or not. Because we see plenty of Romulans that say the Federation didn't help them, but we don't see the ones that do. So surely, from a storytelling perspective, if he had taken the two uh, housekeepers on the ship with him, uh, instead of a couple, a couple of alcoholics in the form of Sibley Nine and, and Raffi, who does nothing in the show at all, absolutely nothing, um, wouldn't it be better if the housekeepers were there? And then you'd have got from a writing perspective, much more chance to actually explore what happened and actually introduce a bit of depth into the show. Now, I, I might be wrong, but when I was watching that 
season of Picard, I had the feeling that they were put on the back burner for some reason. Now, I may be wrong. We may get to the end of season two and go, nope, they still haven't turned up. But I've got a feeling that they were like, we're going to give you these great characters and then we're going to put them there so that you carry on watching so that we can bring them back later was the impression I got. Like I say, I may be completely wrong, but I'd be very surprised if they don't make a reappearance at some point in season two. Well, that's not, (laughs) they've got Foreman introducing stuff and not bringing it back. And they've got Foreman introducing stuff and killing it off right away. And they certainly done that with 79 where they connected her to the, the Borg cube. Or the yep. artif- the artifact. What the fuck are they talking about? Artifact. Jesus fucking Christ. <sighs> Who writes this stuff? Um, so they're connected to that. And then as a Star Trek fan, with all your knowledge, all your understanding of the Borg and Seven's journey up until that point, you s- see the significance of it right away. And then two minutes later, she's disconnected and all the Borg are dead. Um, and then it's never mentioned again. Uh, it's just that was a great idea yeah I, then, I, I, I can't argue with you on that one and they, well, they crash it into the android planet but anyway <laughs> let's go back to the Javvash because we'd never the actually got that far the so, we can't so. talk about the shitvash because it's so horrible that we'll end up going mad it's fine. You can go mad. I'll survive. I'll watch you pull your own eyeballs out, and then I'll carry on the podcast without you. It's not a problem, Gregor. We've got this. So um, the Jadbash are um, like a, a cult within the Tal Shiar um, who were formed because they felt that the... Uh, sorry, were formed way before the Tal Shiar, and they've had this underlying thing running through it's a it feels like an analogy to a lot of the secret societies that um so your opus day and your other um modern day secret societies or the, the fact that freemasons run the world it's got that sort of vibe to it um i wonder if they consulted with dan brown it does feel a little bit like a dan brown style um narrative um but to me if you've got this split up diaspora, uh, diaspora society, the Tal Shiar are no longer united. Um, Romulus as a planet doesn't exist. I don't know whether there is a formal Romulan hierarchy anymore. I imagine there is because of the fact that they managed to call in the fleet at the end. So I imagine there is some form of government in existence um, I was under the impression that that pseudo-existing government was working with the Federation. And this Jad Vash comes forward as a way of trying to make the Romulans a more complicated body, rather than all Romulans are bad. No, let's not treat a whole race of aliens as baddies let's go for a sect within this alien society that has some weird convoluted ideas um and that's what i think the the purpose of the javvash is and i quite like the whole secret society cloak and dagger all of that 
they're that secret that they're hidden within the secret police, which is just great. Although I imagine that standard Romulan police are secret police. The 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 Tal Shiar are like secret secret police, and then you've got your super secret police cults. What's not to love, Gregor? You, you use the word to make the Romulans more complicated, like they were a simple species already. You know, but, but they were incredibly complex already. And the chief protagonist, this Larissa of the Jacques Bash, was, as I say, a moustache twirling baddie who brought no depth to that complexity that you're alluding to. And, and that, therein lies the problem. And this is what they've done with the Romulans, they've taken them from being, you know, a very logical stuff. And, and as for the Romulans hating all robotics, I mean, that was blown out of the water because there's an episode of TNG where they've got a conference and there's Romulans there and they're all talking about artificial life, etc. So that made no sense whatsoever. Um, and they introduced this mythical, spiritual side to them. The, the guy that was trying to get his end away with Soji. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah I know you mean. I can't remember his name, but yeah. Right. I'm terrible um, with names. Yeah. We have a secret name that we only tell certain people in our heart. And they're like, wait, wait, what? I thought you were a Rom you know, you're Romulan. You've got a secret name. Um, it's like you've read a help card of what the Romulans is, and then you're asked to write about them. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we introduced a secret name? No, it wouldn't, because it's like you've just read a help card and you've not actually went delved into what the Romulans are. And he takes her into this chapel. Like, what? Chapel? Where, where did all this come from? That is, you know, I've never seen anything like that with the Romulans before. And I have heard the argument, yes, it's introducing new elements, but it's introducing new elements that make no sense and have no credulity to me, as, as, to me but, individually as a viewer watching it. But how do you introduce anything new? Because it sounds like you're campaigning for entropy, which is boring. Um, how do you introduce anything new without you then turning around and going, yes, but that's new, we've not seen it before? Well, you make the characters better, for a start. And you don't have two-dimensional characters like Larissa and Admiral Ono and people like that. You know, it, you can introduce... I think there's endless opportunities to introduce new stuff, but it has to have some bearing in history. It has to have some um, relevance. One of the criticisms, I'm not a Game of Thrones fan, I've never watched Game of Thrones. No, one I'm, of the one of I'm the not going to be able to join in on this very much either, but go on. But one of the criticisms I have heard about the last season is um, doing the unexpected, making characters do unexpected things that made no sense and had no bearing whatsoever. It was shock value for shock value's sake. And it brought no depth or um, um, it brought nothing to the story. And that's, you know, and uh, yeah. that season eight bomb. I, I do feel like you're being completely blindsided by the elements that you don't like. Um, if we were to look at, let's take TNG, for example, and let's go and have sex with my grandma's dead ghost's boyfriend in a jar. Mm. That doesn't make you hate the next generation. You can manage to separate that because you've grown with that series and that's that's what you're remembering fondly. Now, rose-tinted glasses are great. 
that it's really good to look back at TNG and to think, yes, TNG was wonderful. It had all these great bits. Yeah, it had the bad bits, but we can leave them to the side. It had all these great bits. And I think a lot of people at the moment are not judging the new Trek in the same way. I think I, I, that I, people I, are I, being I, too sweeping yeah. and too... No, Josh, these are bad bits. I don't like it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll come back at you with two points. One, if you enjoy it, you forgive the bad bits, okay? And perhaps, in your example there, because of the episodic nature in the past, you always knew the next episode could be good. So you, you got hits and misses because they were standalone episodes. But overall, if you if there's enough in there to you, for you to enjoy it, you've bad bits don't become bad. If you're not enjoying the good bits, the bad bits become bigger. And that's where I am with, with New Trek. Also, I do not compare New Trek to Old Trek. I'll very rarely say uh, that's not what Picard would do or make that the main point of the argument. What I do do, though, is I compare New Trek to The Expanse, to All Mankind, to various other shows that I've watched now. It's contemporary shows, and they are much, much better. And that's where they're failing. They're not getting it. Star Trek should be the gold standard for science fiction on TV, and it's not. I, I can see that point, um, and I'm not. I wasn't aiming my short rant then just at you. I was okay. aiming that at a lot of general. I I just feel that hindsight and rose-tinted goggles are the enemy of any new creation within an existing franchise because you're always going to have well it's not like it was when i was a kid well no if you want to watch it like it was when you were a kid get back on netflix and go and watch tng again but see this is the thing because i wanted to like discover it a lot of the things that several podcasters don't like about discovery are things that i actually don't have a problem with you know i don't have a initially i didn't have a problem with telling the story through the first officer's eyes i don't think that's what they did i think they went from telling the story through the first officer's eyes to making the first officer some kind of marvel um superhero which is a different thing um i didn't have a problem with the darkness um all, all those sort of things when the when they were trying to stuff me certainly didn't have a problem with the technology apart from the mushroom drive uh, so i didn't have a problem with holographic communicators didn't have a problem with the bridge looking the way it did uh none of those things were an issue for me absolutely none of those things but for me fundamentally it's i just do not like where the stories go i just don't think they're telling so i mean this, the season two, it's the way that it's back to the way they try to shock you that has no credulity. That, are, you know, uh, the Red Angel, it's you, Michael, it's definitely you. Then the Red Angel turns up. Yep. It's your mum. Oh, I thought you yeah. said it couldn't be, I thought you said it couldn't be anyone else. Oh, yeah, well, you know, well, we didn't watch last week's episode, so we'll make something up to explain why it's your mum. Then it turns out it's not her mum, it turns out it's her later on. It's that kind of right that just makes me go, what are you doing? Uh, See, I didn't have an issue with that element. I, I I, didn't find that that element of that story 
grated on me at all. I, I, the 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 issue I had with Discovery um, is that it's taken till season three for us to actually get to know any of the other bridge crew. That's that's my main issue with Discovery. I want to know the cast, not just Lorca, Burnham and Tilly. I want to know the rest. But a lot of what they've done with the crew, because um, I have not a clue. You know, I, I never felt watching it up until um, season two, episode th- two of season three, when I, when I stopped watching it. Up until that point, I never had a sense of who the crew were. There was this collection of characters. Yeah. But I never had a sense of who the crew were. And a lot of the time, when an, an alleged main character in Discovery um, was in an episode, quite a lot of the time, they weren't there for science fiction reasons. They weren't there for functional reasons in terms of what their function on the ship was. It was to talk about feelings, which is something Discovery does a lot. Don't have a problem with that, but they make feelings the mainstay of the show and not the science fiction element. The feelings, the feelings should be there as the consequence of the actions of what happens in the story. The feelings shouldn't be the story. Um, if you're making the feelings the story, all, all you're appearing to is empathy without um, understanding the consequences of pe- people's actions, if that makes sense. It's just... You listen to the epilogue or the prologues, right? You know, you listen to a prologue in TNG or DS9, and it was exposition. It was yeah. pure exposition. It was planet X, planet Y, species here, there. It's pure exposition. You listen to a prologue in Discovery, and it's feelings. Sometimes you've got Sonequa whispering. Sometimes up is down. Sometimes down is up. And it's like, it is a science fiction show. You know, that's this is the thing. It is a science fiction show, so give us some science fiction. I, I I can see where you're coming from. I don't agree, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, I think that they they use emotion as a storytelling device in the same way that um sometimes in sometimes over the top too much in the way that sometimes next generation would use technology as a storytelling device too much um when you end up listening to a, a two-minute speech from geordie about how the engines are doing this that and the other and you you just have to just go yeah all right because you don't understand the word what he's talked about for the last two minutes so you have to go yeah all right um so i think it's got the same flaws that um sci-fi always has had in that it's hard to blend emotion and discovery with a lowercase d um into a, a good mix so yes sometimes they have gone a little bit too heavy on the emotional side but i wouldn't say that they're not doing sci-fi um season three is good um and i think the fact you've not yet watched the end to the end of season three i think you might be pleasantly surprised with where it goes Um, might might don't like come around to my house and beat me up if if you don't like it i'll be honest with you 
that I've got a lot of thoughts in my head because obviously between Facebook and Chitter Chatter and pod, podcasts and that, I hear stuff. And I've got already got a problem with trying to watch season three whereby you, you talk about the science fiction element and I just can't get out of my head that it's this kid that screams that destroys all the dilithium. It's back to like the season two stuff with the time crystals and the, the Klingon monastery. It's introducing fan, fantasy elements, comic book elements. I don't mind the Marvel story, but it's a comic book. It's not science fiction. And it's introducing these but elements and I'm like... Oh. Is science fiction not fantasy that is explained through technology? Because that's basically what the end of season three is. It's fantasy explained through technology. That's what sci-fi is. You can't travel faster than the speed of light and go and meet weird and wonderful aliens. That's just fantasy. Yeah. But if you've but, got a spaceship, then you can. So what you're doing is you're taking fantasy and you're using technology to justify it, which is, to my eyes, exactly what the end of season three of Discovery does. Science fiction is fantasy with an explanation. I find it difficult to enjoy season three based on some of the stuff that I've heard that I've now prejudged in my head. And I don't know what it would take to get that out of my head. That's that's an issue. What about a lobotomy? Well, I can just hear JJ cheering <laughs> as he's listening <laughs> this, editing it as we speak. Um, yeah, I, I just uh, it's too many fantasy elements in it for me now. That's the the thing, and it, it's it's not the problem. Isn't old Star Trek? The problem is it's contemporary programs that I'm watching now. No, I, I understand your viewpoint, but it'd be a pretty rubbish podcast if we both just sat here and agreed. Exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, it's not, it's, this is I one mean, thing I like about. Makes, it's the show looks great. I love them. I, yeah. I love the effects. I love all that. I love the lighting. People moan about the lighting. Being a photographer, I love the lighting. The show looks great. I just like the writing a bit. That's all. Yeah. No, that's one thing I like about Spot the Week is that we don't just sit around and agree with each other and go, oh, yes, yes, all new tech is rubbish, isn't it, Gregor? Yes, James, it is. I hate new tech too. Why do you hate it? Well, I hate it because I, I'd much rather have this conflict of opinions is much better discussion mm. yeah i mean I'll, I'll probably get around to season three at some point i just don't know when when all mankind finishes that's it all mankind's got four episodes to go when that finishes i'll watch season oh, three i thought you were meaning when actually all mankind's finished <laughs> No, I, I mean, was like, is, it, is Gregor cheering for Corona here or something? No, I, I, think, I mean, For All Mankind is uh, by Ronald D. Moore. It's on Apple TV, but just by no one's seen it. If it was on Netflix, it would be the number one show in the world, and it's brilliant. Yeah, I, I did look for it, and then I remembered I don't have Apple TV, so I haven't yeah. been able to watch it. Well, what to do is you'll get Apple TV for five ninety nine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial. So wait till season two's finished, and then you can binge watch season one and two in a week. <laughs> can you watch Apple TV when you haven't got an Apple TV? Yeah, just registered on the website. All oh, right, I thought you needed a an Apple device. No, I've got. Uh, it shows how well marketed Apple TV is, doesn't it? When yeah. I don't even know whether I can watch it or not. I mean, I don't know. I mean, obviously they're a massive company, but Apple TV in comparison to the likes of Netflix, Disney Plus, it's just as um, as you know, nobody talks about it. So I don't know how they're making money because the the budget this show must have is enormous. It's got an enormous budget, clearly. 
I think they've got a, a marketing issue. Like I said, I thought you had to have an Apple TV or an Apple device to be able to run Apple TV as a service. So perhaps they should make more of a job of letting people know that that's not the way. Although I've I'm not got, signing up for another service. I've, I've got enough streaming services. Yeah, I've got it. Another. Um, I stream it through a Roku stick. Oh, I've got one of them. Yeah. I stream it through, you'll get the app on uh, the Roku. All oh, right, cool. Yeah, no, it's I use one of those. We, we cancelled our cable subscription and, and just use them instead because we realised we don't actually watch live telly. Yeah. Do you know when the last time we had a TV signal into the house? Go on. December 2011. Wow. No, that's a bit further back than us. We are about, yeah. we're about two years now without a, a yeah. TV signal. We've not had a TV signal for 11 years. The, the, yeah. the, where we live, the block of flats where we live, the aerial, our aerial got blown over in a storm and that was the last time we had a TV signal. But even then, we were starting to stream stuff more. Yeah. So. No, but I've still got to pay the TV licence because he likes to go on iPlayer and watch Bargain Hunt at lunchtime. Oh. <laughs> what about Line of Duty? No, no, he just watched his bag and hunt. I've, I've not watched Line of Duty. I, I don't really like police stuff, so it's not. This is the police police. This is the shit vash of the police <laughs> line of duty. That's... I, I don't think the police have a secret blood cult. <laughs> I don't think so. If you like acronyms, Line of Duty is the show for you. No, let's avoid acronyms. I have enough of them in my day job. I don't need them anymore. It's a it's a line for it's a show for acronym files. It's yeah, no, I've heard good things, but it's detectivey police based, and that's just not my cup of tea. It's not what I'm into. I don't enjoy that style of storytelling, mainly because I've not got the brain that can do the guessing properly. Well, yeah, there's a lot of guessing in Line of Duty. Yes. And I don't... Every outcome's a surprise when you're that stupid you don't understand what's going on anyway. So... (laughs) Do you just point at the TV and every character that comes on and goes, it's them, they did it, notes. Pretty much. Yeah. Or I think think nobody's done it and, and then I get really surprised when actually the person I really liked all the way through, but I liked them. And then I get mad because I liked them and now they're a baddie and I didn't spot it. So then I turn the telly off and get mad. Well, Sarah's just finished watching Haven. She got into Haven. It's not been as finished about four or five years ago, but she's just been watched, binge watched that. And uh, Shatner's in the last four episodes of that. So. Yeah, that... that... Don't, don't, I'm going to get loads of, of horrible Twitter messages now, but that's a reason for me to not watch it, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, James's Twitter handle is <laughs> at the militant, and he hates, he hates William Shatner. And um, yeah, there you go. I, I'm not going to argue with you because I don't disagree hates, with any words you've just said. <laughs> he, hates, he hates William Shatner and he thinks Yeoman Rand is creepy. So all you Grace Lee Whitney fans out there, just get rounding on him. That's James Fairburn at the Militant on Twitter. That's James Golding, sorry. James oh, Golding. I thought I was going to get away with the fact that yeah. you're giving somebody else's surname away. Then yeah, I was yeah. like, brilliant, James, that's James not Golding. Me. James oh, wow. Golding at the Militant on Twitter. That's... 
Thanks, Gregor. I, I, I will hold you personally responsible yeah, for all the trolls that jump yes. into my... Hashtag human rant. <laughs> Hashtag Shatner is great, okay? This... <laughs> you might get lots of... You, might, you, you never know, it might work out. People might say, yes, I agree. It's all right. William Shatner won't know because he blocked me on Twitter. Did he? <laughs> yeah, because I said he was shit. <laughs> I think I, I don't. Yes, I do follow him, but I don't get that many of his tweets coming up because I don't like. You know how you, the more you interact, that's when they prioritize yeah. your feeds. So I don't. No, really a, a while back I watched a, an episode of TN, uh, TOS and I put a tweet out about the fact that I I didn't like it because I found William Shatner's acting wooden and just generally shit. Yeah, he's and, actually a really good actor. He's actually and then a really I was good blocked. actor. <laughs> on Twitter by William Shatner, so I was like, "Yep, all right then." Badge of honor. So I see no reason to defend the man who doesn't want to hear the fact that people have different opinions. So, yeah. fuck he's him. A, he's, a, he's actually a really good actor, but he's, um, he's. I've yet to see any evidence of that. He's a stage. He's a stage actor, so that's why a lot of the stuff. A combination of being a stage actor, so a lot of the stuff he does in front of the cameras over the top. Yeah, um, but Patrick Stewart was a trained Shakespearean actor, a stage actor, and. Yeah, but you can direct Pat. You can direct Patrick Stewart. Um, and why, why can't you direct William Shatner? Is it because his ego? Um, but he's. I mean, his 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 early career was. I mean, he was in some landmark films. He was in Judgment at Nuremberg. He starred alongside Spencer Tracy. Um, but when you hear Nicholas Meyer talking about him, he says the more he got him to do a scene, the better he got. Uh, and there's some, you know, in Star Trek two, three, and four, he's actually, I think he's great, but that's where, you know, people were controlling him. So he'd Nicholas Meyer controlling him in two, and he'd Leonard Nimoy controlling him in three and four. Well, that's a that's a whole other podcast. It, it really is, um, and I'm trying to avoid going onto a massive why I don't like William Shatner rant, and I'm doing well. I'm holding my I'm holding myself back. Okay, well we'll we'll get that. We'll get there. We'll get that. <laughs> Do the whole. We'll get. We'll suggest to JJ that we should do that. I hate. I mean, That's part of the fun of the world is that we can disagree. That we can have different opinions. Is it Shatner that you? No, it's William Shitner. William Shitner. Yeah, if you can call him the shit Vash, I'm going to call him William. William Shitner. Yeah. Oh, this is brilliant. I'm going to. I'm going to bookmark your Twitter feed. All notifications. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> oh, well. Well, uh, we kind of went off the wrong ones there. Yeah, yeah. We stopped talking about them ages ago. Yeah. Or as Worf would say, Romulans. Was that, was that a good one? That, that wasn't bad, that one, actually. Romulans. Okay. I can never forgive them for killing my parents at Kitana. Tell you what, he's a grumpy bugger when you meet him at a convention, isn't he? Don, I've never met him. Oh, have you never met him? He's a uh, grumpy bugger. Is he? Yeah, I don't know whether it was the end of the day, he was tired or what, but yeah, he was proper grumpy. Mm. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew can be quite grumpy. She can be brilliant or grumpy, depends on. I mean, the one first year I went, she was great. Second year, she was grumpy, but she flew in at two in the morning because she was yeah. still filming um, Orange is the New Black. Apparently, these last few conventions, uh, René Aubergenois got a bit like that as well, because the long days really affected him. And by the end, as uh, so people used to say, if you want to go and see René, go and see him in the morning, because he's lovely. 
Just don't well, see I, him just before lunch or at the end of the day because he gets hangry and grumpy. Well, I met him uh, in 2016. And he was, if you've never if been to Vegas, they have Quark's Bar, which is basically a bar yeah. set up in one of the halls. And he was in he was in Quark's Bar and he was just walking around talking to people. Yeah. Um, and I spoke to him then and he was great. Um, but that was the only time. I didn't meet him any other times I've been after that. No, apparently, as long as it wasn't towards the end of the day, he mm. was absolutely lovely. But tiredness started to get out of a bit. So whether in, that's you turned into Odo. <clears throat> a little bit, yeah. So whether that's the same experience I've had when I met Michael Dorn, was it just the end of the day? Was he tired and grumpy? Or is he just a grumpy bugger? I don't know. Maybe he had just met JJ before, before that's you. possible that's possible and that's just that's enough off. to put anybody on a bad day really isn't it yeah absolutely yeah yeah that would definitely put me off because JJ said that um Mulgrew was crabbit as well so it could be he's the common factor you see everyone's told me that Jerry Ryan's quite um grumpy and horrible when you meet her she was absolutely lovely with us. Yeah, I thought Jerry Ryan was nice. Yeah. Um, um, she was talking to Evie about her costume because Evie was dressed up as Seven of Nine and mm-hmm. they, they had a, a chat about the costume and she was lovely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think I've met any of them that I've met, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say. Um, I would criticise. I mean, some everybody can have a bad day. That's why I'm willing to give Michael Dorn the benefit of the doubt. I may have caught him on a bad day. He could have been hungry. He could have been could have had a headache or whatever it is. Mm. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. But the one time I've met him, he was a grumpy bugger. <laughs> so are you going to destination? I'm planning on doing, yeah. Going. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'll just carry my... T- I can't remember how it works. I bought tickets to Germany last year. That never happened, so... Mm-hmm. Because I think there's a few. I, I, we've not decided if we're going. To, I think probably not. Yeah. No, uh, if, I, if I don't take my daughter to a Star Trek convention, I will never hear the end of it because she's right. missed them. She's been moaning at me now that it's two years since she went to a Star Trek convention. Yeah. Well, I, I, there's a few of us coming down from Edinburgh, I think. Not me. Probably yeah. not me. Not saying that I won't go, but probably not going to go. Well, there'll be things like Edinburgh Comic Con up there as well, won't there? So. Uh, well, just it's more to do with other holiday plans that we've got. Yeah. So, um, you mean you're that optimistic you're actually making holiday plans? Uh, yeah, well, we've got a holiday booked for next year. It's actually been moved four times already. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. We've just given up. Yeah. It's like we've got a wedding to plan at some point, but we're just not even beginning to start to plan that yet because God knows when we're actually going to be able to get married, so... Well, anyway, shall we say goodbye to um, Ian Strollers, if you're listening? If you're Bye, Ian. Bye, this... Ian. And if you're Ailey's listening... probably listening. Ailey will be listening. And yeah. uh, um, Stuart oh, McElwain will be Ailey listening. may send me some abusive messages about my comments about uh, Kirk. We may fall out. <laughs> we won't. Uh, She's lovely. I will tell her everything you said about William Shipner and Yeoman Rand and the lights. And... Um, you'll be going straight to the brig. Um, I'm, I'm going to be demoted, aren't I? Yeah, and Stuart, Stuart McElwain will be listening, and we'll have our listener in Texas. 
Uh, Hello to our listener in Texas. I don't know why I'm waving. It's the podcast. Uh, And Andrew Smith as well listens. So, yeah. Uh, Thank you for, if you've made it this far, guys, well done. Because that was hard work (laughs) this time. So, um, hey, we both got a rant this time, though. Yeah, we have. I'll tell you what, I'll leave the closing to you this week. Okay, well, um, it's been an interesting journey. We've briefly touched on the Romulans. We've both had a good rant. And what's not to love about Gregor and James's Rantathon, which is what I think we should rename season three of Spock the Week. Um, I've been James Golding. You can find me on Twitter at The Militant. And you can find me at Crabbit Ginger. And thank you for joining us. And we will see you next week. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Don't know why I felt the need to do the hand gesture on a podcast, but I did it. <laughs>